Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're so honored that you're here, and uh, I do see new faces, and we're just so thankful to the Lord of what he's doing each and every week inside of our church, and uh, it's just an awesome, awesome time to be a part of not just this church, but also what God is doing just globally as we unite today uh, with believers across the globe, and uh, we're just really, really delighted that you're here. Uh, We are in week four of a series called Verified. And uh, this is a series on miracles and the God-man who did them. That's Jesus Christ, of course, the eternal Son of God taking on flesh. And we've talked about the miracle perspective on week one and gaining a new perspective on who God is. And week two, we looked um, in that same context of of what it means to, to have our life be like a loaf, that multiplication is found in the brokenness. And we talked about how God uses our lives and the message that he writes and the story that he writes through our lives to speak to a world and to share with the world. And last week, Pastor Chad looked at the redemptive nature of God, the miracle of God in Jesus Christ's redemption. And today, I want to preach to you a message that I'm calling Faith-Filled Living. Faith-Filled Living. And I want to start off this message by laying a quick foundation, and uh, I want to look at two different stories about Jesus. Now, what's so amazing to me about these two different stories is that um, you're going to see that Jesus was amazed two different times. Two different occasions, Jesus found himself amazed, and he was amazed actually for two different reasons. In fact, he was, we could say, amazed on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I've been praying specifically this week for you, for us, that God would build your faith, and as God builds your faith, that he will build our faith. There's something, you know, so, so powerful that happens when we come together as the church. You know, for example, if you pray alone, you know that can be very powerful, but, but when you pray with others, I'm telling you, there's just something that happens when you join your faith with other people, and you feel like you're really touching the heart of God. You know, the same is true with worship. You can worship in your car, right? And some of you do, I've seen you, you worship like crazy in your car, right? For the same reason uh, you do that is the same reason you pick your boogers in your car, right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You you think there's this invisible shield, you think nobody's watching. Isn't that crazy how for whatever reason you feel safe to pick your boogers in a car? It's like, you know what, I got one, I'm just going to dig it out. You know, everyone can see, but you do it anyway. Well, the same is true with worship. You just worship uninhibited. I don't know what you say, maybe you're singing Jesus take the wheel. I don't know what you're singing, but whatever Uh, That can be powerful, right? But I'm telling you, there's something even more powerful when we come together and we worship corporately. I don't know how many of you were here during uh, our all-night prayer gathering, but it was so amazing to see the church gather together and get lost in God's presence. And today, I want to deal with this issue of faith. Like I said, I've been praying that God would build our faith. He would build our faith in our church. And in our life, in your life, and quite honestly, I want to tell you, for some of you, I believe that this message today can stir you to take a step of faith. And very literally, months or years from now, you may look at all that God has done, and you can trace back to this very moment when God inspired you to take a step of faith and believe Him for something that could not happen without His presence and His power. 
And so as a church, we are going to be faith-filled people. We're not going to insult God with safe living. We're not going to incubate our lives from the world around us. We're not going to insult God with limited, small thinking. He said in the psalm, the psalmist said, have, uh, have you vexed the Holy One of Israel? In other words, you limited God with your inability to think on His level. And we're not going to be those people. We want to seek God for the impossible. We want to believe God for miracles. We want to, we want to dream that God... God would do exceedingly abundantly more in our lives through our church for his glory that generations would know who he is. We're going to be faith-filled in all that we do. And when we look at this passage, two different stories here, we see Jesus is amazed. Now, the first story is when Jesus was in his hometown, Nazareth, and his, he was teaching, and some people were offended, like, you know, who does this man think he is? He's the son of Joseph, a carpenter. We changed his diaper. He shouldn't be saying these kind of things. And the Bible says that he was amazed at something in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 says this, Jesus could not do many, or any, I should say, miracles there, except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, notice this. And he was... Notice the scripture said, amazed. Now, what was he amazed at? He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus was flabbergasted. Jesus was blown away. He was shocked. He was stunned that they did not believe that he had the power to do what he said he could do. That he indeed was who he said he was. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, the second story we're going to look at is in Luke's gospel, and there was a centurion who, from the Jewish people, surely would have hated because of all the cruel things that centurions were known to do. And the centurion had a sick servant that was at home dying. And so the centurion sent someone to go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, come to this guy, touch him. He's going to die. And whenever Jesus met up with the centurion, the centurion simply said this, hey, I'm a man under authority in the army, and I know what it means to be in authority. You don't even need to go to my house to pray for this servant, Jesus. He said, at your very word, I believe that my servant will be healed. At your very word, you just say it, and my servant will be healed. And look at verse 9 of Luke 7. When Jesus heard this, what was Jesus? Check this. Everybody, look at this. He was amazed at him, and turning to the crown following, he said, I tell you the truth, I have not found such, there's the word, faith, such great faith even in Israel. Now, notice this. Two different times Jesus was amazed. He was amazed at lack of faith, and he was amazed at great faith. Now, here's a question this morning. As you are now halfway into this new year, as you're six, almost six months into it, if Jesus looked at your faith level today, those things that you're attempting for his glory, those things that you're praying for, those things that you're believing he will do, would Jesus be amazed and how big and audacious and bold your faith is, or would he be amazed at your lack of faith. Think about that. I mean, it's a great question to wrestle with. I mean, amazing. In fact, what I want to do, instead of us just being theoretical, I want to kind of help you really be honest with yourself. And I'm going to ask you in a moment to kind of rank your faith somewhere between 1, which would be the lowest, and 10, which would be the highest. In order to kind of be semi-accurate, what I want you to do right now is just simply think about the last week of your life. Just the last week. Shouldn't be hard to remember, right? Well, some of you are like, maybe. But think about that. What, a, what great faith steps did you take in the last week? Did you attempt something that was so bold, so daring, that if God didn't come through for you, there's no way that it would have ever happened? If so, you're going to kind of be on the higher end of the spectrum. If not, you're going to be on the lower end of the spectrum. Think about your prayer life. What did you pray for in this last week? 
Imagine right now if God answered every single prayer that you prayed last week with a yes and it was immediate. I mean, you prayed it and God was like, there it is. God, can you do, there it is. God, can you, there it is. God, can you, there it is. God, can you do, yes, yes, God, yes, God, yes, yes, yes. Everything, you, if God answered yes and immediately to every prayer, ask yourself this. What would be different in the world right now? Would anything be different in the world or just your world? And for some of you, if you had like an eight or nine, I mean, there would have been like a lot of people healed of cancer, right? There might have been hospital beds that were empty this morning because people would have been healed. There might have been a child that was adopted into a family from a foster care. There, there might have been a marriage in your connect group that was on the rocks that was healed. And all these really cool things would have happened because you've been praying great prayers in the last seven days. But some of you, if you're honest with you, if you look back over the last week of your life, your food would have been blessed, right? I mean, come on. You, you, you would have made it to your grandma's house safely, which is always kind of interesting to me. About 99% of the time, you get there anyway safely. Oh, God, put angels around us safely. Oh, God, be with that. And what else, you know? I, I don't know. All these things that God's already promised. What would be different in the world if God ever answered every single prayer you prayed in the last seven days with a yes, and it was immediate? For some people, there would be nothing different in the world because you didn't pray anything this week. And you didn't ex attempt anything that was bold and daring for the kingdom and glory of God. Would God be amazed at your great faith, or would he be blown away by the fact that you didn't attempt anything or pray for anything significant in the last week. See, as a church, I believe God is calling us to be faith-filled, to not fall into a lull, to not get into management mode, to never insult God with small thinking, to never insult God with safe living. And so in order to kind of inspire us today to take some bold faith steps, what I want to do is look at some faith-filled facts to help build your faith. And I'm praying would encourage you to follow God's direction for your life. The first one, if you're taking notes, is, is something's very important for us to understand, and that is this. Number one, you cannot play it safe and please God. You cannot play it safe and please God. In fact, the author of Hebrews said this in the great faith chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 6. He said, and without faith, here it is, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, if you can do everything within your own power and you never need the power of God, then you're living without faith. You're living without faith. You're only doing that which requires your own personal strength and without faith, it is impossible to please God. The challenge, I think, sometimes is, is in our part of the world, we tend to kind of glorify faith, right? We think if you got great faith, you're never going to have any doubts. You're, you're never going to have a bad day. You're just going to be floating around on this eternal faith. But that's not the reality of faith. Come on, folks. We know that faith is messy sometimes. It's not always constant. It's not always incredibly clean. There may be some moments when you got great faith, and then the next minute you're overwhelmed with doubt. Great moments where you got faith in this situation, and in another context you got great, day, uh, great uh, doubt. And sometimes you feel like, yeah, God really spoke to me, and I know it. And other times you're like, I'm not really sure. And it's hard sometimes to follow a God that you can't see. And it's hard to take faith steps that are very, very messy. That's why it's called faith. Because it's not proven what's going to happen or else it wouldn't be faith. 
few years ago, I went to a camp with our teenagers. It's called Signal Mountain Youth Camp, where they had this thing on a high ropes course called a, a faith leap. Maybe some of you have seen this before, a faith step. And it was like an exercise that you're supposed to do that's fun, right, and build your faith. And they built this tower that kind of went like halfway to heaven. It was like the Tower of Babel, you know. And you walked up these stairs all the way up there. And when you get to the top, it's this tiny little bitty square you stand on. And there's only room for you and the safety guy, right? And the safety guy kind of puts a harness on you. And, and you're just supposed to kind of jump off of the ledge to try to get a pole, right? Grab this bar. And you like free fall, literally like fall, 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 fall. And then all of a sudden, the safety harness is supposed to catch you and let you slowly down to the earth all in one piece. Well, you know, me being a youth pastor at that time, I had a lot of church people there, a lot of students there. And 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 it, and I'm not afraid of heights. It looked really easy on the ground. But how many of y'all know when you got up there, things a lot higher up there when it is from down here on the ground. You know what I'm talking about. And like I'm getting up there and thinking, oh my goodness, I, I'm talking to this guy. And I'm like, hey man, has, has anyone ever died doing this? And he was like, no, not yet. And I'm like, oh man, I appreciate it. You know, like, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Next thing I know, he's latching me up and I'm staring over the edge. And I was, I, I gotta be honest, I was scared, man. I was like doubting, you know. I'm like, okay, no one's ever died on this, you know. This is a church camp. This is totally fine. This is all fine. Surely, God, it's not in your will and wisdom that my teenagers are going to literally watch their youth pastor die, you know. God is my witness. I'm rededicating my life to God, you know. I'm praying for forgiveness of sins. I'm making up sins that I might have committed, you know. I'm confessing them to God. I don't even believe in that, but I'm just covering the bases, you know. And so finally, they're all laughing at me, and, and I just said, you know, it's time to do. I, I got to go. I, I got to do it. And when I did, I jumped, right, and I felt this rush, like my heart stayed up there, and my body went down, and I'm, I'm just falling, 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 falling. And let me just be honest with you. I'm about 87 to 88% sure uh, that I did not scream a cuss word. <laughs> but I'm 100% sure that I thought one. I hate to tell you that as a pastor, but I mean, I'm just like, oh, and, and that's what faith is. It's, it really is. There's this, I believe God, you're calling me to do this, but here I go. I believe God that you've spoken to me, but, but here, oh, and, 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 and yeah, you can't play it safe and please God. And one of the greatest examples of this is, is Peter when all the disciples were in the boat, right? And Jesus walks up on the water in Matthew 14. And he's like, hey, anybody want to come out and see me? And Peter, the crazy guy, gets out of the boat and starts walking on water. And everybody criticizes him, right? We beat the tar out of poor Peter, right? I mean, we do, right? Like, oh, Peter couldn't walk on water. Yeah, but you can't even get up and read your Bible in the morning. You know what I'm saying? We just, we, we beat Peter up. And, and everybody criticizes him. Oh, he saw the wind and waves. He sank. Yeah, but there were 11 guys that didn't get out of the boat, folks. He walked on water before he failed, which goes to tell us it's always better to be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. Come on, somebody. Where you get out there and you begin to walk on the water. And so often, folks, our fear of failure keeps us from taking a step of faith because people so often think that failing means missing God. I've just 
discover. Failing is often the first step to discovering God. It's where God is found. Never let the fear of failure keep you from taking a step of faith. What's going to happen, Craig, if I get out of the boat? I don't know. But all I know is this. You're going to have to step out to find out. And if you're fine with never finding out, then stay in the middle of the boat the rest of your life. But I'm going to tell you, God is asking us to take steps of faith. J. Oswald Sanders in his book, Spiritual Leadership, he said, More failure comes from an excess of caution than from bold experiments with new ideas. I love that. And I don't know who this is speaking to today, but some of you are playing it safe, and you can't play it safe any longer. You can't play it safe and please God. I would argue that if you're not failing every now and then, you're playing it way too safe. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Would God be amazed at your great faith, or would he be amazed at your lack of faith? You can't play it safe and please God. And you know, when you always talk about this subject of faith, I think a lot of times people, they misunderstand what this word means. I'm going to give you my definition of faith. Faith is to believe it will, even when everyone and everything believes it won't. Let me talk to you to you about a couple things related to faith. If you're going to possess great faith, number one, you're going to have to hear well. If you want faith, you're going to have to hear well. We forget that Matthew 14, this passage with Peter walking on water, starts in verse 22, where Jesus tells the disciples, you must go to the other side. Now, can I ask you a question? If Jesus says you got to go to the other side, do you think you won't get there? I mean, you got two options. Do you think you'll get there or do you think you won't get there? Jesus insisted you got to get to the other side. And that's how this story starts. They heard Jesus say, you got to go to the other side. Now, when you personalize it in verse 28 with Peter, Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And he said, yes, come. See, Peter's smart enough to know that I can't walk on water. And if that's really you, Jesus, I kind of want to walk out there and see if I can do it too. Just tell me to come. But Peter's smart enough to know that the only way to operate in faith is to first hear God speak. And too many people think that faith is the act of acting impetuously when in reality, faith is the act of first hearing God specifically. I love when people come to you and say, Pastor Craig, I jumped, man. I jumped. You're preaching on faith and I jumped. I quit my job. I jumped. And I'm like, but what did the Lord tell you to do? He told me to stay at my job. Well, why did you jump? Well, I just, I figured it takes a lot of faith to do the opposite of what God says. Well, folks, let me tell you something. That's not faith. That's ignorance. Faith isn't the act of just jumping. Faith is the act of first hearing. The disciples heard Jesus say, get in the boat and go to the other side. Peter heard Jesus say, get out of the boat and come to me. Let me give you a wonderful piece of advice. Before you do anything in life, especially jump out in faith, make sure you first hear God. And if you're anything like me, the greater the step he asks you to take, the more times you make him repeat himself. Craig, I need you to leave North Cleveland. I need Pastor Chad, Michelle, I need you to leave uh, wherever you're at. I want you to leave, Michelle. I want you to leave, Meredith. I want you to go to another place. Where you, you, I know, I know you're gonna you're gonna be uncomfortable. I know it's a new place for you, but I want you to start with some leaders and a small group of people, most of which are staring at you, thinking you're crazy. Craig, I need you to jump. Well, Lord, I need you to repeat yourself about for the next millennium, if you don't mind. You know, right? I need you to listen to me. Hear well 
and you'll move wisely. Move quickly and you'll fail foolishly. So we make jokes about, oh, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, listen, I'm all for waiting and seeing and waiting on the Lord. But if you're not listening while you are waiting, you're not waiting. You're stopping. You have stalled out. You have halted. You have begun to play it safe. And I know some of you, God's been poking a little bit. God's been saying, it's time to jump. It's time to make a move in this area. And listen to me. I don't think God has a problem with us making him uh, making him repeat himself. Here's how I know that. One of his favorite things to do is to give us confirmation. All throughout the Bible, God gives us confirmation. Romans 10 and 17. You know what? He says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the good news about Jesus Christ. For those of you in this room, you're nervous. Craig, I, I don't know if I can hear God well. I just don't want to get it wrong. I, when God asks me to jump, I don't want to make the wrong decision. Well, listen, if that's you, if you've got intimidation, trepidation, all kinds of angst internally, you've got an internal tempest growing in you because you think you're worried about missing God, you listen to this next verse. This is the promise of God for you. Isaiah 30 and 21. He says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or left. God will speak to you. He's the good shepherd, and he knows how to speak to your life. See, one of the hardest things in life is getting to a place in life where your life is no longer about you. And one of the ways you know life is no longer about you is you stop making decisions. You you stop making decisions for your life and your family. You start allowing God to make the decisions. You know, it's funny to me, you always get into church and in projects and everybody has an opinion, right? People are always sharing their thoughts. I think this. God, I think this. But none of us really spend time to say, God, what do you want? God, what are you wanting in this situation? And in, it's so many of us, it's hard to get to a place where our life is no longer about us. And here's the hard part. It's impossible to really have faith if the only faith you got is in you. Some of the reason you're so afraid to jump is because you don't even realize you have more faith in yourself than you do in your God. You've got to hear him well. And the more clear you hear him, the more faith and confidence you'll have in him when he asks you to jump. Not only do you have to hear well, but you've got to fire fear. Look in Matthew 14. It's widely known that if the devil can't stop you, he'll do everything he can to try to scare you. Come on, how many of you be honest today? You say when God's asked you to step out in faith, it's scary to you before. You've been scared. Yeah. Lift your hands. You, you see, remember what happens to Peter. God calls him to himself. He does. And I'll tell you, one of the ways to not have fear is just to know where Jesus is. you got to remember, Jesus knew where they were. He knew they were in trouble. He knew because he was watching on the mountainside praying. If God's asked you to jump and you're a little bit afraid that he doesn't see you right now, here's the good news. He sees you. He knows you. He knows exactly where you are. And fear has to be one of the most brilliant strategies of the devil. Fear is something that can stop you in your tracks. Fear is something that can cause you to walk to your garbage can late at night in a way that would embarrass you in the middle of the day because you know for sure there's a sniper on top of your neighbor's house nope it's just a roof rat that's what fear does though right i mean you, you go out in the middle of the day bold and drop it in the garbage can but you tiptoeing coming around the corner of your house and you don't dare look back until you run from the garbage can all the way back into your house right Fear convinces you that you are hearing footsteps when really all you heard was his word. You heard his word. You've got to fire fear. Now, I'm going to read you a passage. 
I'm going to read you a passage that will help you. You know, we sing a song like we just did. Rachel and our team just sang the song, Great I Am. I love those. Because those certain songs are like sucker punches to the devil. You know, I'm talking about those in-your-face type worship songs. I love all worship songs, but I love those sucker punch songs like, You are weak, devil. He is strong. You lose. He won. Uh, you have no ability. He has all authority. I love those songs. And I also love those passages in the Bible. And I want to give you a reason to no longer be afraid. Are you ready for it? Here's the number one reason you shouldn't be afraid. Because your God isn't. That's brilliant, right? Let me read you a passage right quick. Because I think sometimes we think our God's is sweet and soft and gentle. He's kind of easily taken advantage of by his enemies. And, and we just think and confuse his weakness uh, or his kindness to be his weakness. And he just comes across weak. I want you to see how God actually has a favorite hobby. And I don't know if you knew it or not. But God, one of God's favorite hobbies is actually to taunt his enemy. Do you know that? Just to, just to taunt his enemy. Listen to Isaiah 41 starting in verse 17. The Bible says, When the poor and needy search for water and there is none and their tongues are parched from thirst then I the Lord will answer them I the God of Israel will never abandon them I will open up rivers for them on the high plateau I will give them fountains of water in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. I will plant trees in the barren desert, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. I am doing this so that all who see, here it is, this miracle will understand what it means. That it is the Lord who has done this, the Holy One of Israel who created it. And now, do you listen to this? Verse 20, this is spectacular. Present the case for your idols, says the Lord. Let them show what the idols can do, says the King of Israel. Let them try to tell us what happened long ago that we may consider the evidence. Or let them tell us what the future holds so we can know what's going to happen. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead. Then we will know you are God's little G. In fact, do anything, good or bad. Do something that will amaze and frighten us. But no, you are less than nothing and you can do nothing at all do you realize that every one of your enemies god has that speech with every morning do you realize that god just hey hey he says hey just do something hey to impress me come on oh that's right you can you didn't know that's how god talks sometimes hey would you do something would you oh, oh yeah you can't because i'm alone and the one that gives life hey would you roll over do a oh, oh that's right you can't god, this is god speaking and in your moment of worst fear, you need to open up the Bible and listen to God speak to his enemies. You have no place for fear. You have no place for fear. You fire fear. You hear God. You keep focusing on the fact that they are your enemies, but yet God says, I can squash them. I can squash them. So I want to tell you, you cannot play it safe and please God. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this, as long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. As long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. The writer to the Hebrews said this in Hebrews 11, 1. He said, faith is the confidence that what we hear is hope for. Notice it's not what's guaranteed, it's what we hope for. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for, we're still in the hope and business. We as Christians are hope dealers, not drug dealers. We hope, I hope this is God, I hope this works. It's the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives an assurance of things we cannot see. See, the problem for many of us is we want a guarantee. I want a guarantee. Pastor Craig, is this going to work? I need a guarantee. I need a guarantee. It's like when I was back in kindergarten, first, second grade, right? Back when we would go with girls. Anybody ever remember years ago, we'd go with people? Anybody ever go with somebody? Will you go with me? 
Was that just our school? Will you go? Well, here's the weird thing. We would go with girls, but we'd, know, we'd never go anywhere with them, right? What was that all about? Will you go with me? We didn't even go to recess together because she was a girl and I was a boy. We, we went nowhere, right? But, but before I'd ask a girl to go out or go with me, I, I would always pre-ask the guarantee question. You know what the pre-ask is? I, I would write a note, and you had to have a Ph.D. in origami to open it up, right? It was folded like 122 different times, and you opened it up. And once you opened it up, the, the note went something like this. Dear so-and-so, if I were to ask you to go with me, would you go with me? <laughs> Check yes or no. And then I'd give it to her friend to give to that friend because I wanted a guarantee. And one time, no joke, my note came back with a new box that said maybe, and that box was checked. Folks, that's not fair. That's not one of the options. You can't put maybe. You can just put yes or no. But the reality of it is, folks, when we're dealing with God, sometimes the box is a maybe. Ah, come on, somebody. Has anybody walked with God long enough to get some maybes? God, I think you called me to do this. God, I believe you called me to do this, but I'm not sure. Is it you, God? How do I know? How do I know? How do... Listen, you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. I'm going to say it again. I, I don't know how you're being so quiet. Uh, you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. Sometimes you just got to say, I think God's called me to do this. I hope God's called me to do this. I believe God's called me to do this. But she said, maybe. The box is checked, maybe. You know, I begin to think again this week about faith. You can have faith and you can have control. You can't have both. Some of you, you're going to have to let go of some control and take a step of faith. As a church this year, we're going to do some things that we honestly just don't know how will turn out. We're going to take steps of faith. On a personal sense, I'm not going to throw this on the church because I don't know that completely with all clarity, but I know that God challenged me years ago to believe that we would plant a thousand churches in my lifetime. That's a big number. You know what? As many times as I've said that, I've never had people clap or, or applaud that when I say that because we are filled without ourselves. We're filled. But how many of y'all know that God, God can speak and God can fulfill that which he plants in our hearts to do? I have a vision. I have a vision to see a thousand churches planted faith-filled people that's who we are faith-filled people i said that years ago and again no one no one you know clapped it's almost like people almost laughed but i believe it will happen in our lifetime i believe that the local church christ in the local church is, is the hope of glory and someone said well you know what if you get to heaven what if you don't plan a thousand well you know what i'll hand off the baton to knox i hand off the baton to one of you i believe that in our own dwelling place church movement we can see churches planted all over the world planted in south africa planted in swaziland planted in thailand i planted all over metro land i believe it i believe i am faith filled with faith that god wants to do it what happens craig are you going to get to heaven one day and then be ashamed it's not like folks i'm gonna get to heaven and i'm gonna i'm gonna step on the other side of attorney and say okay god i'm just you know what i got a little bit carried away i'm so sorry i told the people that we we're gonna plant a thousand churches and maybe i just got a little bit ahead of myself you know I, i'm a little bit ashamed no folks when i take one step into eternity i'll look at god i'll look around and just oh total uh, utter bewilderment and i will look back down to earth and i will scream at Knox and and say, son, use bigger numbers. You have no idea the God that's up here. You have no idea how amazing, how wonderful, and how grand, and how marvelous he is. Use bigger numbers. Folks, I 
I'm not going to be ashamed of being faith-filled when I meet Jesus. I'm going to be full of confidence. Faith is the substance. It's the confidence of the things that we hope for and the evidence of things that we do not yet see. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but someone in this room, you're going to start a business. Someone's going to start a ministry, and you want to guarantee, God, what are steps three, four, and five going to look like? And God's saying, I'm not going to show you three, four, and five until you take steps one and two. There are no guarantees. You follow God, and the only guarantee is that God will prove himself faithful. We didn't go into this year knowing we were planting a church in Orlando. God brought it about. But who knows what happens this year in planting more churches. I believe that our God is a God who works through people. I believe that God could send millionaires to fund the work of church planting. I believe it. I don't like debt, and debt hurts a lot of churches. But I'm crazy enough to believe we can start not just around Metro Atlanta, but places around this world. And somebody here needs to grab hold of the faith step that Jesus is asking you to take. Someone here, you've been praying about asking somebody out. Well, listen to me. You've got to ask her out to get married. <laughs> and when you do, because God used me, you get married. You're going to have a son, name him Craig, because I helped get you some action, right? <laughs> I, I built your faith. You've got to take some faith risks. You cannot play it safe and please God. You can have control, you can have faith, but you can't have both. It's a little bit like when I took some teenagers last year to this exact weekend. I took the seniors from the youth ministry I was pastoring to, to Stone Mountain, and there's a high ropes course, a mid ropes course, and a low ropes course. And there were several there that had a little bit of fear of heights. I didn't have much fear of heights, and so I got up there and I, I went immediately to the high ropes course, and they hooked me up, and I went across the, you know, across the line, across the brick, and I literally finished it, went through the middle and did the low, and I'm already down at the bottom. I look up some of our team, some of our teenagers are only halfway through one of the levels, right? I mean, they're scared to death. There was one in particular that was holding on. He had, he had uh, gotten his strap, you know, he'd, he'd been hooked up, so, you, you know, you can't fall. It's a harness, but he is literally wrapped around the tree, right? He just holding, I mean, biceps, you know, bulging, holding as tight as possible, just hugging that tree. And I'm like, hey, man, in order to walk across that rope, you're going to have to let go of the tree, you know, and, and instead of doing it all at once, he kind of graduated, he turned a little bit, you know, and was holding the tree with his arm behind like this. And, and God is my witness as he started taking a, a step on the slack rope, a, a slack rope. Many of you don't know what a slack rope is. It's kind of like a tightrope. That takes, you know, those are idiots who do that. Well, you're bigger idiots to do slack rope because it shakes. Literally, you could take a few steps and it flips out from under you like a hammock and you just, I mean, it knocks the breath out of you. And, and he, he turns and he's going to walk on this slack rope and, and God is my witness. He's shaking like this and trying to hold his balance, right? Trying to hold his balance. And I tell you, I, I feel, you say, where are you going with this? Well, I feel like so many times in our life, that is the reality of our lives. That's what we look like. We look like people who won't let go of the tree. But let me tell you, point number three, for you to step towards your destiny, you got to step away from your security. For you to step towards God's destiny in your life, you got to step away from your security. Some of you, you're going to have to let go of the tree. You're a tree hugger. You're a tree hugger. Well, what's going to happen? How's it going to end up? If you knew all that, it wouldn't be called faith. 
Isn't that exactly what Abraham did in one of the most crazy faith-filled stories in the Old Testament? In fact, it's reflected in the New Testament in verse 8 of chapter Hebrews 11. And it says, by faith, there it is, by faith, Abraham, when, he, when called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Even though he didn't have a clue, he let go of the tree and took the first step. And when you take that first step, you keep your eyes focused on the author and perfecter of your faith and suddenly by his power, notice, now see my eyes, you're not walking by sight anymore, but you're actually walking by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, but great faith pleases God in a great way. And let me tell you something that Peter learned, that the strength of your feet is determined by the focus of your eyes. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he had a firm footing, but the moment you take your eyes off of the author and the finisher, your footing starts to get a little mushy. It starts to get a little bit uh, a little bit soft, but I'm telling you, the strength of your feet is determined by the focus of your eyes, and you begin to walk in faith with what God has called you to do. And this is what happens in Abraham's life, right? I mean, Abraham has to tell his entire family, we're leaving. He's an incredible man of faith. Leave your country. Leave your place. Go to a place I will show you. Leave my house. Where are we going? Well, I'm not going to talk to you about that yet. I'm not going to talk to you about what's next until you leave what's now. Whenever God calls you to step out in faith, he's never going to talk details with you until you first obey the first instruction that he gave you. And whenever God wants to do something revolutionary in your life, it's going to be crazy. It's not going to make much sense. It won't make a, a complete sentence. Oh, I can see why God's calling me. Some people say, no, no, no. If faith is going to be foolish, then the sentence must be incomplete. If faith is going to be foolish, the sentence must be incomplete. God says to Abraham, leave. That's the only word he has. Now, this is an incomplete sentence so he has to tell his family i'm leaving well finish the sentence abe where are you going i don't know i, I just leaving i don't have any more words because if faith is really going to be foolish it leaves you with an incomplete sentence so abram tells his entire family we're leaving where are we going i don't know but i got my camels and my fine wife you know sarah wasn't pretty she was fine you say how you know that because he had to lie twice in order to not get killed and say he was she was his sister right she was old and bad and it wasn't even like she was 20 either she's seven she had it going on. My wife must have looked like Sarah, but she ain't 78. Abram takes his immediate family and his nephew Lot, and it's uncomfortable to be the leader of God's movement with an incomplete sentence because it's hard to tell the people following you what's coming next. So we're out here walking, eh? Where are we going? I don't know. But now we're out here walking, so where are we going? I still don't know. Where are we going to stop? I don't know. Where are we going to eat? I don't know. Where are we going to live? I don't know. At some point, friends, when you're walking in faith, you can't be around people who ask a lot of questions. you got to have people who are rolling with you who have enough faith to believe exactly what God told you and just keep on walking. At some point, people who want a lot of details can get you distracted because if you give people the opportunity when you still have an incomplete sentence, they'll try to fill in the blank for God. Well, God told me to leave. Well, I think God told you to leave and go over here. No, God just told me to leave. And, and it's okay not to have a 
complete sentence right now. I'm just going to keep following God. But sometimes when you get around people that are so bothered by incomplete sentences, you can watch them play in hangman, and they're the ones that never give up. Oh, I got one leg left, and I'm going to get this word. If they're ever watching Wheel of Fortune, they can't change the channel until they know what the word is. And yet, that is not the faith that Abraham has. He's walking with people behind him, and he brought his nephew Lot. Now, Lot, friends, is not a bad guy. In fact, the only reason Lot and Abram end up splitting up is not because they had beef with each other. The reason why Abram and Lot split up is because they both started to become blessed at the same time. Now, listen, Lot was blessed by following Abram, and Abram was blessed because he was listening to God. Can I say it again? Lot was blessed because he was following Abram. Abram was blessed because he was listening to God. You better be careful the company you keep because of God's favors on your life. Everyone around you is going to get a connected blessing because of you. And if they're with you, they're going to get a blessing because of you. And you got to make sure God told you to bring them or they'll end up with a portion of your blessing when they should have still been left at home. Now, Abraham's being blessed. Lot's being blessed. They don't have a direct problem, but indirectly because of the servants that Lot has obtained. And Abe has a conflict to the point that they had to break up. Not because they're upset with one another, not because they're mad, not because they robbed or backstabbed, but simply because there was a conflict indirectly among their possessions. So Lot has to go. Now, Abraham's such a man of God. He just says, you pick which side you want. I'll go the opposite direction. And here, friends, is Lot's mistake. He does not pray before he goes. Lot Lot's not a bad guy, but Lot wanted to see with his eyes before he heard with his ears. Listen to this preacher. Lot said, I want to go to the place that looks good, not the place that sounds like him. See, faith comes by what? Say it. Faith comes by hearing, not by sight. In the kingdom of God, your ears are your eyes. In his kingdom, your ears are your eyes. You don't get what you see. You get what you hear. In the kingdom, I'm talking about God's faith kingdom. That's the way he does it. I speak what you're going to have, and the last thing you'll do, God says, is see a manifestation of it. We don't get happy about what we see. If we're real believers, we get happy about what we hear, and we give God praise on credit for what we hear because we know that we will see the thing in just a matter of time. Come on, am I talking to somebody today? Has anybody seen God promise you anything at all? You heard it, but you don't see it, but you're walking around as if you're convinced because you're talking about it, but you don't have that job yet. You don't have that relationship, but you know what God has said to you. In order to take a step towards your destiny, you're going to take a step away from your security. Would God be amazed at your amazing faith, or would he be amazed that you have access to his power, his throne room? If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You have access to go before God and ask him, and he hears your prayers. Would he be amazed at your lack of faith? Or your great faith. We say, Craig, how does this play out in our lives? Well, I think it'll play out individually. And I will believe that it will play out corporately. I believe that God's going to speak to some of you. And you're going to have to take your faith step. And I believe that God's going to speak to us as a church. And we're going to take some faith steps together. For you as a follower of Jesus, you may take a faith step to share your faith with someone that doesn't know Christ. Maybe a family member, maybe a boss, someone you work with or work out with, and you know they really need the truth that you know, but you're not sure what's going to happen. I'm telling you today, you're going to have to take a step of faith. And when you do, the box may say maybe. How are they going to respond? Are they going to respond positively? You don't know. But your faith will be built when you obey what God puts on your heart. Some of you, you're going to tie for the first time in your life. You've heard it. You've thought about it. You made excuses about it, and suddenly you're going to do something that makes 
absolutely no rational sense. You're going to return 10% of what God blesses you with back to him through his church. And suddenly, if your faith number was a two, you're going to see God provide and recognize that 90% with his blessing is actually more than 100% without. And your faith's going to go from a two to a five, two to a six, three to a seven. When you take that act of faith, some of you are going to step out and you're going to start a connect group. And in the back of your mind, you're saying, am I good enough? Do I know enough? What's going to happen? And you don't know. And several months later, it will happen. Somebody will stand up on this stage six months from now, and they'll give a testimony of their connect group. And they're going to say, this is now my favorite thing in life, that I'm pouring my life into others, that I'm sharing life around God's Word, that we're growing together. Oh, I'm so glad I took that step of faith. But it won't happen until you obey and take a risk. Some of you, you're going to serve in DP students. Some of you are going to serve in DP kids. You're going to serve in youth ministry, and you think, well, I'm not cool enough. I can't connect with them. And suddenly you're going to get in there, and you're going to realize, oh, my gosh, these kids have so much potential, and some of them have so much passion for Christ, and some of them are so messed up. I'm tired of seeing a generation cut themselves with scars on their wrists and scars on their ankles. I'm tired of seeing young men and young women be sexually confused and depressed and coming from broken homes. And you're going to wake up a year from now, and you're going to say, this is the best part of my life that God's using me to impact the next generation, but it won't happen unless you take a step of faith. Some of you, God's going to call you to serve in DP Kids, and you're going to serve in the two-year-old room, and you're going to work every Sunday with those tiny, crazy crackheads, (laughs) and it's going to take great faith because they're in there. Come on, and they're everywhere, and there's more of them than there are of you, and you need God's help. Some of you, you're going to start a business, and you don't know what's going to happen. You've got to take the step of faith. Some of you, you feel called to tell your story in a book, and you're wondering will anybody read it. Well, I'm here to tell you. Can I be honest with you? Honestly, I don't know. Maybe not. Who knows? But there's no guarantees, but you're going to have to step out to find out. Some of you, there's a ministry in sight. You sense that God's doing something burning inside of you for a long time. And when you take a step of faith, your faith is not in the outcome that you want. Your faith is in the faithfulness of our God. And suddenly, listen to me, church, as your faith grows individually, we grow in our faith. And all of a sudden, we start to see as a church, we are the church. And when we gather together, our faith can touch God. When we have faith to come together and believe in the miraculous, then God begins to do amazing things. You listen to me, church. We're not going to sit back. Listen to me. Listen to me. We're thinking big thoughts. You need to hear me. We're thinking big. Our God did not give us a small commission in Matthew 28. He gave us a great commission that everyone would know him, that the gospel would be preached around the world. Don't ever, ever allow yourself to get into a maintenance mode and an incubation mode. Don't ever, as our church begins to grow and we begin to multiply and churches begin to multiply, say, oh, the church is too big. No, no. If you think the church is too big and your love for people is too small, but as long as there is someone that doesn't know Christ, the church is not too big. As long as there are cities that don't know Jesus Christ, church planning can never get too numerous. I believe God wants to use us individually and corporately to think Think big because faith pleases the heart of God. I'm believing in this next year, and I want you as a church, we're going to agree that in this second year of ministry, we're going to see 100 people come to know Jesus Christ in this next year. 100 people become born-again believers through the ministry of our church, through connect groups, through growth phases, through gatherings, through our mission trips, through our giving gifting teams. 100 people, God can do it. And when God looks at you, I want him to be amazed at your faith. And when God looks at our church, I want him to be amazed at our faith because I believe with all my heart that in this next year, 
Our God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine according to his power at work in our church so that he would be glorified for generations to come. Let's don't insult God with small thinking. Let's don't insult God with safe living. Would you bow your heads all across the room? Father, I pray right now, God, that in your presence, that you would do a work in your church. And I thank you in advance for all the faith steps that are coming out of this moment. God, I thank you for these parents that are in this room that know that you've called them to have children. I thank you that if you speak to them, they'll have the faith to say yes to what your will might be for their family. I thank you, God, for those who might be considering adopting or fostering. And there's all these questions. God, I thank you in advance that on the other side of that faith step, they're going to find your perfect God, I thank you for those who will start something, that will follow you, that will venture out, that will share their faith. I thank you that, God, as we step out, we'll find out, we'll discover. God, help us to be full of faith, to follow hard after you. Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, Be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.